Well, that looks fun, doesn't it? That looks like a lot of fun. Uh, that, you know, that is, uh, we got that idea from India, right? They have a festival every year called Holi, and it's not Holi like we just sang about this morning. It's H-O-L-I. It's a Hindu celebration, some kind of Hindu uh, festival, and that's what they do on this festival. And uh, I've been, had the privilege of visiting India a number of times, uh, and I really love that. And one time, Lisa and I were there together, and we were in New Delhi, and uh, we had the opportunity to go visit the Taj Mahal, which is about four hours from Delhi. And so we thought, well, you know, uh, we're going to take advantage of this time that we're in India. We're going to go see the Taj Mahal. You know, I mean, you're going to go see the Taj Mahal if you're close to it. And we were within a four-hour drive, so we thought, yeah, let's do that. Uh, and uh, we were making plans to do that. And then the, the folks who were at the hotel said uh, they found out what we were planning for the next day. And they said, oh, you know what? You should probably not do that. Why, why not? And they said, well, tomorrow is holy. And that's, uh, and we knew enough about it. And they said, that's, uh, it would probably not be, what you guys should probably do is just stay at the hotel tomorrow. <laughs> they said, it's like uh, Halloween, kind of a prankster. And they really like to pick on Westerners. And they just advised us, don't leave, don't leave the house, or don't leave the hotel. And so we actually never did get a chance to go to the Taj Mahal. Uh, a missed opportunity. Uh, we did end up driving. We, we snuck out for a, for a little while. We had some appointments we had to go to. And uh, we waited till the evening, waited till about 6 at night to go out. And uh, so we saw some of the remnants of the festival, and we saw people who looked like that. But... Uh, Never did get to see the Taj Mahal. So that's what, that's what the color war makes me think of. Sorry about that. Well, hey, go ahead and let's get started this morning. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Today we're going to start a brand new series. It's about six weeks long called Who? Me? And I want to tell you up front my motivation for this, uh, for this conversation we're going to be having. My motive in having this conversation is to see people change. That's always my desire, you know, when I want to share. That's the point of God's Word, to change us. So when I preach or teach, my motivation is always change. But usually my goal is, is, is to change you. My motive is to uh, change something about your life. But this morning and in the next several weeks, uh, the people that I want to see changed are not in this room. They're not in this room. Well, I guess they include the people in this room, but I don't want the change to stop with the people in this room. Most of the people that I hope uh, whose lives are changed as a result of the next several Sundays that we're going to be in the book of Judges are people outside of this room, the people who are part of your life outside of Trinity, Uh, your life in this valley where you live, your neighborhood, where you work, uh, where you go to school. Uh, uh, organizations that you're part of or people whose paths that you cross, those are the things that I hope are changed. Uh, Not just in this room, even not just in this valley, but I hope that the lives of people we've never even met are changed as a result of the things we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Because throughout this valley and all around the world, there is tremendous need. Tremendous need. People are not doing well. 
People have broken marriages. People have broken families. People are part of broken systems. The government's not functioning like it should. Or institutions like uh, schools aren't functioning like they should. Or uh, uh, relationships aren't functioning like they should. And, and certainly people uh, without God, their lives aren't functioning like they should because they're hopeless without God. And so this brokenness is all around us. And the possibilities, you know, we could spend a lot of time just describing the different ways that people are broken and institutions are broken and uh, systems are broken. There's just a lot of need around us, not just in our valley, but beyond our valley and around the world. And you say, well, that's a pretty depressing way to start a brand new study. And you're right, it kind of is, to think about all these things around us that are broken. But this conversation, who, me, this conversation and our opening passage this morning, that's where, that's where it begins. Our passage we're going to read in just a minute, it is like the opening scene of any Batman movie. It is a, a dark, gritty, uh, dysfunctional, crime-ridden uh, environment. It's like the opening scene of, of uh, Gotham City, all right? That's what you got. It's, it's Gotham City and all its dirt and all its darkness, all its foreboding, and uh, good citizens cower in fear. Uh, the problems are enormous, and everyone is looking to someone to solve them. And that's really where our conversation begins. It's got very much a Gotham City kind of a tone to our passage and to the whole point of who, me. Our conversation begins by us looking around and being honest and saying, you know what, things really aren't the way they ought to be. Things in this valley aren't the way they ought to be. Things in this system or this neighborhood uh, or this part of our valley, they're not the way they ought to be. And that's just our valley. And, And it's about as good as it gets right here in Walla Walla. If you leave Walla Walla, the needs... Just increase. And that's our, that's our responsibility too. And we look around and we see these things that aren't doing well. Social structures that aren't holding up. Institutions that aren't performing like they ought. And, and uh, you know, wh- wh- who's going to fix that? Gotham City, in all its problems, at least they had the, the bat signal. You know, they just had to flip a switch and shine the light on those dark, foreboding clouds and Batman would show up and fix things. This Tuesday, Walla Walla is going to turn into Gotham City. You knew that already, right? Because Tuesday, right, is Adam West Day, right? Um, Adam West Day, so exciting. Um, He's apparently our most famous uh, export, all right? (laughs) Uh, uh, Adam West, who's, you know, Batman in the TV series. And, and at the end of the day on Tuesday, at the end of the day, down at the Marcus Whitman Hotel, they're going to light the bat signal. All right? So, you know, they're going to light the bat signal. They're going to shine it on the side of the hotel. Now, I'm pretty sure there are going to be uh, half a dozen guys or so dressed up like Batman. You can pretty much count on it. But I don't expect any one of those guys to step up and fix the problems in Walla Walla, which means that we're left in Gotham City for a while. And that's where we start our study. We start our study in the Gotham City era of the Old Testament in a book called the book of 
Judges. And if there is a Gotham City era in the Bible, this is it. The book of Judges. It was a dismal time in the life of God's people. Nothing was functioning like it was supposed to. It was dark and gritty and foreboding and crime-ridden and depressive. And that's the opening scene to our passage this morning, Judges chapter 6. This is where our study begins. So let's read this passage. The first word is again. Now we'll explain the word again here in a minute. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the countries. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. You see the dark tones in this text, and they are reminiscent of the whole book of Judges. If you want to read uh, something that's grittier and darker than any Batman movie that you've ever seen, then read the whole book of Judges from chapter 1 to the, to the end. And you will encounter... Uh, you will encounter situations that are far more disturbing than anything you've seen in a Batman movie. And this dark tone is characteristic of the whole book. And, and uh, this, is their, this is Israel's Gotham era. It's a time of lawlessness, and everyone is doing whatever they see fit. Uh, whatever is right in their own eyes, and the result is mayhem. Now, here's, here, God had chosen this nation, Israel, these people who were hiding in caves. God had chosen these people to be his people. He wanted to be their God, and he wanted them to be his people, and he made a covenant with them. He made a covenant with them that, that if they would be his people and follow him, he would take care of them, and he would bless them. But if they wandered away from their loyalty to him, he would discipline them until they came back. And the, and the book of Judges is the historical account of how this happened over and over and over. Israel turns from God, God judges them, they turn back to him, and he blesses them. That's the cycle. It's actually a cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges. And you can, just, you can think of it like this. You can read about this cycle in Judges chapter 2. It doesn't give us a graph like this, but pretty much it just, you know, it almost is like drawing a picture where at the very top there's a time of peace. And God gives his people peace. He gives them freedom from their oppressors. But what they do with that freedom is they turn to idols. They cave to the pressure of the culture around them, begin to worship the, the, idols and the gods and the values of the culture around them. And so there's disobedience. As a result of that disobedience, God brings discipline, usually in the form of these conquering countries. And, and after a time of discipline, it gets so bad that, that uh, his, God's people finally repent. They turn back to God. They say, we're sorry. Help us. 
deliver us. And after repentance comes deliverance. And God delivers them and then gives them a time of peace again until they turn back to uh, disobedience and discipline and repentance and deliverance and peace and disobedience and uh, discipline and repentance and deliverance and peace. And that cycle repeats itself seven different times. You see this cycle very clearly. A lot of it in, in uh, formulaic kinds of uh, sentences so that uh, you can exactly see that the author is intentionally showing you this is another one of those cycles. And that's what we have in chapter 6. We have the beginning of a new cycle. Again, that's the first word. Again, the Israelites did evil. They're starting this process again. Well, actually, you could see, interesting, if you have your Bibles open, the, the phrase before it, the end of the last chapter, it says, uh, then the land had peace. So there's peace, and then you have again, uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them to the hands of the Midian. We already have the peace and the disobedience and the discipline right there in the first, just, just those first few phrases. So we have this cycle, but the cycle that takes place in chapter 6 is especially important. It's in, especially important, and, and we know it's important because the author frames this cycle as the central cycle of the book of Judges. There are seven different cycles, and we're, this, is, this is number four. So this is the focal point, the story that we're going to explore, we're going to begin this week and explore uh, for the next several weeks. It's the focal point of the book of Judges, the central story and the literary focal point. And it's going to introduce us to a person that God uses to break the cycle. But first, we've got to see how bad it gets. And that's what these first six verses are about. They're about how bad it actually got. So these first six verses describe just the awfulness that Israel experienced every year. Because uh, basically every year, the Midianites, these were uh, nomadic people from what today we would, know, uh, we would call Saudi Arabia. These Midianites would come up every year and take Israel's lunch money. Every year, Israel would plant their crops and they'd take care of their crops and they'd protect their crops from wild beasts. And then the Midianites would come. And they'd sweep in and they'd take whatever they wanted. It's harvest time. Here come the Midianites. They'd take whatever they wanted and they would ruin the rest. They would destroy. Our passage says, uh, verse 3, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, they camped on the land. They uh, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. Uh, They did not spare a living thing for Israel. They even... uh, uh, took their livestock. And so they'd come, they'd take whatever they wanted. They would just take whatever they wanted and destroy what they didn't want, and then they'd leave. And, and our passage says it was, like lo- it was like locusts. Like locusts every year. You could just set your watch by the Midianites. And what made it even worse is that they, the Midianites brought with them this new secret weapon that helped them control the land. Uh, picture this if you're watching a Batman movie, this horrifying uh, scene where the superhero has developed a new secret weapon to use against the people of Gotham. And he uh, has this cruel innovation that's meant to uh, invoke terror in the hearts of Gotham's citizens. And the camera pulls back to reveal this new secret weapon. And that secret weapon happens to be a camel. I mean, 
That was this new innovation. For the very first time, for the very first time in our Bibles, uh, in, the, in the history of uh, our, our uh, Bibles, we have the use of a camel for warfare. And uh, this is interesting. I get to do some fun things as a, a pastor when I uh, get to study. And I got to Google warfare and camels. All right? And then I, would, and then I got to Google warfare camels images. And I got to look at, you know, sometime do that. Pretty interesting, pretty interesting pictures of soldiers on camels throughout history. You know, was, I mean, the pictures only since we've had pictures, but some pretty old pictures of soldiers on camels with guns and all that. So, so anyway, here's where it all begins. And camels, I mean, think of that. They're giant, these, these big animals, and they have uh, more range than any other animals that uh, had been used up to that point. They've, you know, they can go a long ways. And so, so uh, it's, it's awful. Israel is at the mercy of, of the Midianites. So what they would do, God's people would go hide in the mountains. They'd head for the hills. And the Midianites and their camels would come, do whatever they wanted, and leave. And next year, do it all over again. Gotham City. We just finished the 16th anniversary of the attacks of September the 11th. And if you remember that time, you, you remember that feeling of vulnerability that this could happen to us, and this feeling of disbelief that someone would want to do this to you and your country, and that they'd want to, you know, that they had it out for us just because we're Americans. And, I mean, you imagine, now imagine that feeling, and, and imagine it taking place every year like clockwork. And things got so bad. You know how bad they got? They got so bad that verse 6 tells us Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. It got so bad that they actually repented and turned back to God and asked Him to help them. And this is the cycle of judges. Disobedience, discipline, repentance, deliverance. And here's, here's who God is in this cycle. In this cycle, God is at his best. Even though things are dark, God is at his best because he's keeping his promises. He is faithfully keeping his promises, the good ones and the bad ones, the, the easy ones and the hard ones. God is being faithful. He is nudging his people, trying to nudge them to a place where he can bless them. And this faithful God faithfully brings discipline when his people wander away, and then he faithfully responds to their prayers when they come to him for deliverance. And every time Israel turns to God, you read these cycles, every time Israel turns to God, God answers. And what's important for our study is not just to acknowledge that God answers. That's, that is a very important. We've got to remember the vision of God in, in Gotham City times is that God responds to the prayers of people. But What's also important is to see how he responds, all right? The way that God answers these prayers for deliverance, the way that God chooses to change circumstances from dysfunction to health, look at what God uses to make this happen. God expresses his faithfulness. His faithfulness is expressed through people. Notice how God responds. 
Start in verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to Yahweh for help. What's, what's going to happen next? What's next in the cycle? Repentance, deliverance. And when the Midianites cry, or when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. He sent them a prophet. And then you notice, we'll look at that in, in a minute. He's, he sends a prophet. Well, let's, let's go ahead and read that now. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. And the prophet came with a message, and the message was this. This is what the, the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is verse 8. I brought you up out of Egypt, the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you've not listened to me. So the very first thing God does is he activates a prophet. And the next thing he does is he activates a deliverer. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came. We're going to see who that is next week. And sat under the oak in, in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. The very first thing God does when God's people pray for deliverance, in this passage at least, he, he responds by activating two people. He activates a prophet and he activates a man who's going to function as a deliverer. Now that's who the judges are in the book of Judges. The, the book called Judges is named after Judges. And Judges in Judges aren't guys with gavels. They're men and women that God uses to bring deliverance to his people. And the judges in this book, uh, we're going to look at one of them, Gideon. But what I want you to see is that God responds to the prayer for deliverance by raising up people. We'll take a look at that uh, cycle again. And you see that uh, when you get to the deliverance part, God uses people. That's what... That's what brings about the deliverance that you see every time in the book of Judges. You see this cycle, and when God's people cry to Him for help, He raises up men and women. There's a lady with a really great role in the book of Judges. Read uh, the chapters, the, the, the cycle just preceding this cycle, and you read some pretty awesome stuff by a woman judge named Deborah. But the point is that God... God activates people to bring about deliverance in the book of Judges. And that really brings us to the idea that's going to drive the next six weeks of this study. That God is faithful. God is good. God is responsive. And many times, He expresses this responsiveness through people. God uses people to change circumstances. God uses people to change circumstances. People are God's agent of change in the world. People are God's agents of mercy. People are God's agents of deliverance and help. And you see that pattern right here. First, God sends a prophet. And the prophet delivers a message of all that God has done. It's kind of a warning. 
it's, it's interesting. This is the, we said this is the focal point, the focal story of the focal cycle. Uh, all the other cycles that precede, the, 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 the cycles that precede, as soon as God's people pray for deliverance, God raises up a deliverer. Here, when God's people pray for deliverance, the first thing God does is he raises up a prophet. It's kind of a warning sign. It's like, hey, all these other times, I just met your need. This time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet your need, but first you have to listen to, you know, like a parent. You know, first, you've got to listen to me talk for a minute. And that's what happens here. Uh, first, you've got to listen to me talk. So God raises up a prophet. He, God activates a person to meet this need. Second thing God does, God recruits a man named Gideon to do something about it. So we see this pattern here. We see it pull out a little bit. We see it throughout the book of Judges. But we also see it throughout the rest of our Bibles that God raises up people to change circumstances. When we read about what God has done for his people in verses 8 and 9, that's the message the prophet brought, all the things that God has done for his people. When we read about the things that God has done for his people, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says. And, and he rehearses God's past activity, his past faithfulness. And when we read about that, we associate names. This is God's activity, but we associate some people's names with what takes place. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. Whose name do you associate with God's activity there, bringing his people out of Egypt? Moses. And then he says, I drove them from before you and gave you their land. Whose name do you associate with that? Joshua, Caleb, right? Uh, these, now, now, important to, to make note. God is the hero of these. God is the hero in this passage. Verses eight and nine. God's the hero. He's the one who does all the action. You notice this. I brought you out of Egypt. I snatched you from the power of Egypt. I drove them from before you, and I gave you their land. So who's the hero? God's the hero, but we know he used people. Moses, Joshua. Caleb, even Rahab in the book of Joshua. Uh, so we know God used men and women in, his, in, in taking care of his people, in implementing his plan. And this is the pattern throughout the Bible, that God uses people, you and me, to change circumstances. God uses people to bring about his will and his purposes, to redeem Gotham. And as a matter of fact, God actually constrains himself and restrains himself and his plans when uh, on the basis of the, the faithfulness and availability of people. What I'm saying is there are some times when God doesn't do what he might like to do because there isn't a person who's made themselves available to, to partner with him in that. So there are certain things that God just doesn't do in the world because there are people who don't want to go with him who don't want to lead the way, who don't want to change Gotham. And so God leaves Gotham the way it is. And you say, wait a minute, you mean there are things that God would like to do that he doesn't do? Sure. 
And there are other times when God is going to do something and He would like to use someone, but they don't make themselves available. They don't respond. And so, you know what? God goes with the goers. And so He picks someone else. So, times when God doesn't do what He'd like to do. Times when God would like to use someone and and can't. And so He uses someone else. And as we think about these kind of timeless ideas, we bring it down to the fact that sometimes there are things that God wants to do in the world that He may or may not be able to do depending on you and me and how we respond. There may be things God is determined to do. He's going to do them, but He may not be able to use you or me unless He'll find someone else because God's going to do His work around the world. And that's ultimately what this study is about. It's about you and me and our availability. Uh, It's about your availability and your vision to bring about change in the world that God has put you in, in the generation that God has put you in, in the part of the country that God has put you in, in the particular institution that God has put you in, the particular neighborhood or the particular uh, system that God has put you in. I want, over these next several weeks, to equip you to cooperate with God in the circle of influence where God has put you and to equip you to bring about change in your own personal Gotham. God wants to use you as an agent of change in the world. You say, but wait, 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 wait. How did you get to... Me, from Gideon. Here we are, we're talking about Gideon, and all of a sudden you're talking about me. And how'd you, how'd you make that leap? Well, it's pretty easy. If you're a follower of, if, if you belong to God, you're a follower of His Son Jesus, then God has made you, just by virtue of you being in His family, He's made you an agent of change. He has called you and gifted you and given you responsibility in the world. Ephesians tells us that if you're a Jesus follower, God has remade you with a new purpose. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. This is the, uh, what God does at the, act, uh, the moment in time we turn and put our faith in Jesus. God gives us a new identity, adopts us, uh, us into his family. And, and if that's happened in your life, then God has created you in Christ Jesus for a purpose, to do good works. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has things He wants you to do. He made you to do them. So, how did you get to, from Gideon to me? Well, when you became part of God's family, you became part of the family that is meant to do good works in the world. That's who this family is. That's what this family does. Our unique identity as a family is we belong to God and we carry out His good works in the world. Paul tells us in Titus 3, again, that uh, as Jesus followers, we're to devote ourselves to doing these good works. And what are are these good works if they are not changing the circumstances around us? What are these good works? Just being nice people? Uh, No, these good works are part of, they involve changing the things that are broken around us and, and helping the people who are broken around us. 
What do we think these good works are if it doesn't mean doing something about the Gotham that we live in? That's really what Trinity, as a faith family, what we want to do in this valley. We want to carry out, we want to be people who carry out the good works that God's created us to do. Not, remember from a couple of weeks ago, not just people who believe a certain thing, but people who are driven by these beliefs to do something about it, to create a feedback loop of grace, raise the level of common grace by making life better for people so that it opens them to the message of saving grace and creates this feedback loop of common grace and saving grace. And God has put every one of us, if you're a Jesus follower in this valley, then God has put you here in a special place and in special circumstances to do something about this. But, but, but wait, wait a minute again. I still have problems with what you're saying. Uh, because I've got my own stuff. You know, I've I got problems too, okay? I am a walking Gotham myself, you know? I got my own uh, problems. You're talking about the people outside of this room and, and helping them. What about me? How am I supposed to be a leader of change when I have my own problems? Let's strip that question away a little bit and acknowledge that what you're really asking is, how am I supposed to do good? Why should I do good works when I have my own problems? Well, look at Gideon. We'll see, especially next week. He is literally hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. A hole in the ground. He's threshing wheat, but not very aggressively. We'll talk about that process next. Because he's afraid of the Midianites. He, know, he doesn't want them to come and take his wheat. So here is, here is a man who is in the middle of the very problem that God is going to cause, call him to, to solve for other people. He is in the, he's like he's thinking about himself thinking about his problem, i got to hide the wheat from the Midianites. And you know what? God is going to take him in the middle of his problem. And God is going to use him not only to solve his problem, but to solve the problem that he shared, the, the same problem that other people share with him. It could be, you know, you know, as Gideon, God chooses him to solve the problem that he's in the middle of. It could be that you're in the middle of a problem today because God wants you to do something about it. Who knows more what it feels like to be in, to have your problem than you do, right? Who knows more uh, what, how it hurts to have the problem that, that you have who knows more about God's faithfulness in this situation than you do? You might be God's very provision for the problem that's bothering you, but in the lives of other people. Think about that. Your pain, your challenging circumstances they may be exactly where God wants you because he wants to call you to change these circumstances in the lives of other people. God uses people to change circumstances. You 
might be God's provision in the lives of other people for the problem that bothers you. Now, there's one other thing that's bothered me about this passage. I think we need to say something about it. Uh, Every day, every day that I've sat down to study this passage, I've had something bother me, and I've just wrestled with it. And and even when I put the passage away and I, I walk away from it, I have this nagging thing that's it's gnawing on me as I think about this passage and how to best teach it. And, and it's this. It's the tension between the fact that God is the one who brings the change, but he uses us to do something about it. There's a tension there, and I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't want to give the wrong impression. God is the one who brings the change. God is the one who really changes things. God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who directs the flow of history. God is the one who changes circumstances. God is the one who does that. God is the hero of every story and every episode. God is the hero. So we are to look to God for change. We're to look to God for help. Israel was right when they cried out to the Lord for deliverance. They didn't look to another person. They didn't look to a man or a woman to deliver them. They cried out to the Lord to deliver them. So we don't look to people to change our circumstances. Even though God uses people, we don't look to people to change our circumstances. We look to God. So when you consider your personal Gotham and the things that that are dysfunctional around you, your family or your workplace or your city or your government, the whole world around you, you are to look to God for help. But He may very well look right back at you to do something about it. I think the best way to state this tension is this. If you want deliverance, go to God. If you want deliverance, go to God, but then get ready to do something about it. Go to God, but get ready to do something about it. And that's what I want us to consider over these next several weeks. I hope you'll uh, make an investment every Sunday morning in this study. Because all around us, there are people who need help. There are Broken people and broken families and broken institutions and broken systems inside this valley and everywhere else. And they need common grace. And they need saving grace, the message of Jesus. If we want to see Gotham changed, then we need to look to God and get ready ourselves to do something about it. I really want you to leave this study understanding God wants to use you to bring change in the lives of people, in the health of systems around you. Someday God's going to raise up a great deliverer who's going to have no shortcomings. Gideon, before we're done, He's going to disappoint us more than once. 
Someday God's going to raise up a deliverer who will have no shortcomings. He will have all wisdom. He will have uh, perfect discernment. He will have all the ability and authority he needs to create change in the world. And that change will be lasting. It won't be a cycle. It'll be done. And we know his name. His name is Jesus. Someday he's going to do that. But in between now and then, he is doing a work in the world. And he wants to use us to do that. And us means you in your personal circumstances. And my prayer over the next several weeks is that you will gain clarity about what God wants to use you for, maybe not 10 years from now, but, but yeah, this year, this week. And, and maybe for some of you, for sure, 10 years from now. But I, I, my prayer is that over the next several weeks, God will give you clarity about your own uh, role in this in, in the dysfunction around you, and that, that he will give you the courage to do something about it. That's where I want us to head over these next several weeks. And I think we'll learn from Gideon, uh, not, all, and, and not all positive lessons from him, but even from the negative lessons that we will gain clarity and we'll act with courage to do something about the world around us. So, a question for you is, do you have an area of... Uh, we'll call it deliverance. Do you have, have an area of deliverance that you would like to see in your life or in, in your family? A dysfunction that you would like to have fixed? Do you have an, an area of dysfunction you'd like to see fixed in your church? Do you have an area of dysfunction you'd like to see fixed in your school or in your neighborhood? And if you're like, no, not, not none of those yet, well, uh, all right, we can keep going if you want, because we've got a whole world we can keep talking about until you finally say, okay, I'd like to see that better. So do you have an area of dysfunction that you'd like to see fixed? Well, what are you going to do about it? At a minimum, today, you could start talking to God about it. You could go to God and start praying about that area of dysfunction. And it might be that as you go to God, you might sense him looking right back at you, showing you what he wants you to do about it. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we read about what things have been like in other times in history, and we have the opportunity to see not only what history was like, but how you were at work in that moment. It reminds us that we live in a similar time, uh, a world where people do what's right in their own eyes, and it's not really working out that great. And we know that you uh, adopted us into your family, and one of the things you did that for was to give us a purpose, that uh, that with your name and belonging to your family, we now have the privilege of doing works in your name. And my prayer is that over the course of these conversations, that you will raise our awareness here, this church, Trinity. You will raise our awareness of the dysfunction around us. You give us clarity about how you want each of us to do something about it. And that as a result, we'll be 
more fully engaged with the world around us, we'll be more fully mobilized, that we will be more fully devoted to the good works that you've called us to do, and that none of us will miss the privilege of partnering with you in the work you want to do. Only you can do this. Spirit, I pray that you'll help us to hear the things you want us to hear, to connect them to the things you want us to see in our own world, that you'll give us what we need for doing your will, we pray through Jesus. Amen.